0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Rife, and this is a podcast focused on lifestyle, wellness, travel, and business. And lately, it's been a lot about living life on your own terms, starting your own business, making your side project your full-time project, quitting your job and focusing on something you really love to do, just really aligning with your own interests, and again, just living life on your terms. So today we have a guest named Michelle. She founded the site Holisticism.com. And what's different about this site is that it's not your general beauty, wellness update, like 10 ways to get a summer body in five hours and five days to get a six pack ab. Like that is actually what she used to do. She's an editor and she used to write those types of articles and she realized that it was just extremely unaligned with what she was doing. So what's interesting about what I just said about this podcast aligning with what you wanna do, she recognized even though she was working for major brands writing these articles in huge magazines, it just didn't feel right and she almost felt like she was lying. She's like, why am I writing these like fake articles basically like obviously you cannot get a six pack in five days or get bikini ready in 10 days. Like if you are, you're probably doing a crash diet and something extremely unhealthy. So she recognized that and she had the balls to basically say, I'm done with this industry, I don't want to do this. And there's actually a huge issue. A lot of these articles are targeting rich, white, affluent women, which isn't obviously the the target that makes up the entire wellness and beauty industry. There are a million races and genders and nationalities that all consume beauty and wellness content. So why is it that we continue to target these affluent white women? and what's interesting about holisticism is she addresses that again it's not just a site of oh yeah, here's like a good beauty product for everybody or here's something that can work for every nationality. It actually addresses things like racism and brands that aren't really opening up their diversity in advertising. And then it will still have a dose of you know wellness and beauty. It's not a completely polarizing website. And what's interesting is what I love of what she said in this interview is she says, if it is polarizing and it's something that you read and you're not happy with what you're reading, then stop reading it. And that's the beauty of everything that we create now, like even this podcast. If you listen to it and you don't like it, no one's forcing you to consume it. No one's forcing you to read Michelle's content. No one's forcing you to read anything. You choose what you want to consume. And what's really important is you actively choose what you're consuming. Now, this is really hard in today's day and age because of Instagram. We're just scrolling, 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 scrolling. And this is where this whole comparison issue has started to become so detrimental to our mental health. I mean, even this week, I was watching a show and I barely watched it. And I was like, wait, I missed the whole plot of the show. What was I doing? Oh, I was scrolling on Instagram and I don't even know what I was looking at. It was just like travel, an influencer, another thing popping up about a beauty product and I realized I'm actually gonna take time in the next few weeks because I follow so many people to deliberately unfollow accounts that don't add any value to my life. And this is what I mean by actively choosing the content you consume. You know, Instagram's been around for years. At some point, we just started following everything and anything that we thought was shiny and pretty and cool. But now it's becoming to a point where I'm like, why did I follow this person? I don't even like high fashion. We all know I love to be fake rich. I love TJ Maxx. I love anything that's cheap. I don't like fast fashion. I barely shop. So why am I following these influencers wearing like Chanel and going to New York Fashion Week and have fashion labels like that's never been my interest. And so I don't know at what point that I that I followed them and now it's time that I go and unfollow them because there is a point where even though I know I'm not interested in that stuff, I'm still looking at their content all day. And to me it's about value. So if someone is high fashion and that's what they're posting about, then I don't mind following them as long as there's a tip or trick or takeaway or something within their content that I can apply to my own life. If it's just them walking in the street in heels you know, with a Pinterest quote, yeah, I've seen four fucking thousand of those on my feed daily. I don't need to see that again. And so that's what Michelle realized with holisticism is I don't want to be another beauty and wellness website like Goop or any of these that are just constantly throwing out content around the richest whitest thing you can do it needs to have more substance than that so this conversation got pretty deep in terms of what what holisticism focuses on but also just racism and politics and oppression and I definitely wasn't expecting the conversation to go that way but it's something that naturally as you talk about wellness and beauty and advertising it has to come up like That's why you see now, especially I think the like undergarment industry, like Third Love and all these other brands, these are some that come to mind that are now realizing like, wow, yeah, our advertising has been skinny, white, light-skinned girls that are super athletic, six-pack abs, like actually maybe malnutrition, like this isn't okay. And so that's what Michelle and I get to is how did this happen? What can we do to change it? And especially if you are a white person listening to this podcast, what you can do. Now, this is definitely a conversation that it's not easy to have, especially when you're white. Like, hello, I'm white. I come from a well-established family. I'm well off. I'm okay. So, you know, when you think about it, I'm not racist. I have really good friends that are all different uh, nationalities. But you start to think, well, what am I doing to support those people? Like, have I actually done anything to stop the oppression of those other nationalities or races or genders or anything. Like just because you say, oh, I have a black friend or I have a transgender friend or I don't mind gay people, that doesn't mean you are supporting them or helping them. Like saying that out loud, literally a verbal statement does not do anything. You have to actually take action. And that's where Michelle got really specific in how we can help, especially in social media. And I even played devil's advocate and said, well, how do you feel when you're doing this when you are, you know, a woman in privilege that's white? And she gives a great answer. And I think you guys will find it really interesting. So like I said, this podcast started with, you know, just starting your own business and living life on your own terms and getting out of industries that you don't like to be in. And it quickly turned into how we can stop oppression, especially right now in the United States. We, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. There's a clear divide And I found it a really interesting conversation. And I think you guys will really enjoy Michelle's content, both personally on Instagram and with holisticism. She has so much knowledge. She's extremely smart. She's extremely opinionated. And that's why I want her on this podcast, because like it's called, it's my non-expert opinion. So we also need some expert opinions on here to balance that out. So outside of the interview, I wanted to give you some Australian updates I'm moving again. I think I hinted at this last week, but I am moving. My rent is actually really high. It's of course high because I'm right on the beach. I only share with one other flatmate. We have everything we need here. And if you saw an Instagram post I did a few weeks back, to me, it feels like I'm living in luxury in Bondi, but to an American, especially where I just came from, you would think I'm living like not okay. What I mean by that is I don't have air conditioning, we don't have a microwave, there's no elevator, Um, what else? We don't have heat, we... um, I'm trying to think what else. It's just so much stuff that you are... Oh, we don't have a dryer, you have to go outside and dry your clothes. Just like normal things that you would have in America that come with every flat or apartment or house, like we don't have here. But to me, I'm living in luxury because I'm right on the beach. Like I said, that's really impossible to find for a cheap price and only living with one other person. If you guys remember when I first got to Bondi Beach, I was living with five other people and then I lived with one other person because I wanted more privacy and just quiet time and I'm such a light sleeper that I needed to find only one other roommate. But because of that, I'm paying really high prices and I'm noticing that I'm basically like house poor. Like I'm just paying all my money on rent and then I don't have time to do anything fun. Or if I am doing something fun, I'm putting it on my credit card and just driving my credit card bill up, which I had just paid off before I got here. So I'm trying to be really smart about, okay, well, yes, you could live in this nicer place, but you're also not having fun. The whole point of me moving here wasn't to just sit in my apartment. And outside of that, I'm working all the time. I work 30 hours a week at the gelato spot, and then I work one day a week at a yoga studio at the marketing department, which is basically 40 hours. So I'm working full time and then on the weekends, I'm always out and about, not even weekends, like during the week too, I'm trying to go to the beach, I'm trying to meet up with friends, I'm going out. So it feels like I'm barely home and I'm paying all this money and then when I go out, I just have to use my credit card. So it doesn't really add up for me right now. So I'm moving and I'm going to move, I'm trying to stay in Bondi Beach, but I definitely want to uh, cut the costs so that I have extra money to do fun things because it's about to be summer. And that is really weird because I'm so used to living in Chicago where right now it would be freezing if not snowing already. And right now it's the brink of summer. Like people are starting to whip out their rollerblades, their skateboards, their bicycles. Everyone's cruising along the beach. Everyone's going outside. Like everyone goes for dips here. I was telling my friends about this. It's just going for a dip in the ocean, which, yeah, it doesn't sound bad, but it's so weird the times that everyone does it. I'm not used to it. They'll be like on their lunch break, and they'll just go to the beach, run in the water for 10 minutes, fully go under, swim around, come back out, and go back to work. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, your hair got wet? Did you do your makeup? Like, how you're soaking wet, you're salty. And I'm from the beach. Like, I grew up in Satellite Beach, Florida, a one-mile beach town from, like, I lived right by the beach, and I don't ever remember just going for dips or you know, walking along the beach side and being like, okay, hey, I'm gonna run in and run out. It was usually like a full blown day at the beach, then you go in the water, then you come back out, then you sit down. It's not just like a quick in and out thing. And I've noticed a lot of people do that here. They'll just text me and be like, hey, do you wanna go for a dip? I'm like, well, are you we doing like a whole beach day? Like, not, no, I don't really wanna just go in and out and then go back to work. And that's so common here. People will go in the morning, their lunch break in the evening. And it's just like a little fun lifestyle thing that I've noticed about people that live in Australia and definitely Bondi Beach that they're just always having these dips. So that's something that's interesting. I'm trying to think of lingo. I hang out with so many British people. I told you guys, Australia and Bondi Beach is like mini England. So a lot of the words I'm learning are English, like British, but it's interesting because, you know, British, is a commonwealth of Australia. So they do use similar words. I'm trying to think of one, oh, hundreds and thousands is sprinkles. When they ask for a cup, they say dish or tub. Like this is at the gelato place I'm thinking of. They'll be like, can I get a small tub of whatever? And in America, a tub actually means like a full gallon. You know, you get like a tub of ice cream, you're getting a full gallon, if not larger. And here a small tub would be a small cup. They'll also say dish. Which is funny to me because I'm like, a dish is a, a flat dish. And they'll be like, oh no, I want a medium dish of this. What's the other one they use? Dish, tub, hundreds and thousands. Oh, freckle instead of sprinkles. So they'll say the freckle cone or can we get like freckles on top? And I think that one's so funny. Um, goon is another word for like cheap white wine. So they'll, or not even white wine. I think it's just cheap wine. So they'll be like, oh, another goon night or yeah, just having some goon. And I'm like, in America, a goon is like a goober, like a silly person, like, oh, you're such a goon. And here it means cheap wine. And I'm like, oh, well, great. I'm drinking goon all the time then because it's expensive to go out here and wine will get you drunk pretty quick. So that's what I've been doing. As far as lifestyle goes, I have found it really, really hard to be self-disciplined here. And I'm going to admit that. I Think this is a perfect lesson of the grass is always greener. People are probably looking at my lifestyle being like, oh my god, I can't believe she just gets to go to the beach on Wednesday, and I see her on Monday morning laying out, and it looks like she's just sitting there doing nothing. And I'm definitely doing stuff, it's just you don't see it. Obviously, I'm not going to show you an Instagram story of me working five to close at night at my hospitality job, but... I, I am working at night and I, I have to, you know, do that to make money to pay my rent here. But that means I have the days off where, you know, I, if I don't have to work till five, then yeah, I'm going to go hit the beach. I'm going to go do a workout class. I'm going to go to a cafe. And it's hard though, because, you know, if I don't have to work till five, technically I can wake up whenever I want. So you would think, oh, that's so nice. You get to sleep in. But after a few weeks, it's not that nice. You're like, God, I could have just used that whole morning to work out, to run errands, to clean, to hit the beach, to do a, a coastal walk. There's this beautiful coastal walk that takes like two hours. And if I would just wake up earlier, I could do it in the morning. So it's I don't have like a set morning anymore, which is quite the opposite tune of what you might have heard probably right before I moved here, I had such a specific morning routine. I worked out. I had my meditation. I journaled. I went to work. I came home. I had a ritual. Now that's like completely out the window. Sometimes I'll wake up at seven. Sometimes I'll wake up at eight. Sometimes I wake up at 1130. Sometimes if it's nice out, I'll go to the beach or I'll sleep in or I'll watch shows all day or I'll run errands or I'll work on my podcast. Like it really is so eye-opening to realize how self-disciplined you have to be if you are starting your own business. Because the days off that I'm not working at the gelato spot, I should be working on my yoga business and my podcast. Like, I should actually be in a cafe or setting up a space in my own apartment where it's like, this is what you're doing. Like, add it to my calendar, emailing, outreach, creating reports, and I'm not doing that. And I think in my mind, I'm like, oh, it'll just happen one day. And it's like, no, you have to do that. So this is like what I'm saying, the grass is greener, you might be like, oh, that's so nice that she just has all this freedom. And it is if you have self-discipline. So that is like one of my major goals for the next few months, especially going into 2020. I've talked about this on podcasts before, I really don't like New Year's resolutions, because to me, I think time, like actual hard timelines are people's excuses for pushing things off. Like, yeah, in in January, I'll get to it. Or yeah, in the new year, I'll, I'll get to it. And it's like, You know, January is just a name for a month, and a month is just a name for a period of time, and a period of time is just made up by man so that we had dedicated structure to our civilizations. I know that sounds like really far out, but I mean, think about it. Like, who made up a day? It just the sun rises and the sun sets. The sun rises and the sun sets. The sun rises and the sun sets. That could go on forever and ever, We just made up years and months and days and times so that we had some structure. So because of that, I really don't like saying, oh, I'll wait till New Year's or yeah, next month or next week. It's like, no, let me just start tomorrow. Like if I'm feeling that way now, I'm going to do it now. So I'm really feeling the effects of like not being self-disciplined because I'm noticing it with my own progress with my podcast and yoga. Like by now, I was planning to reach out to networks and try to monetize and try to just really find like partners to brands uh, brands to work with. And I'm not there yet because on my days off, I'm like lounging around, I'm hitting the beach, I'm doing a workout class, I'm getting my nails done. Like I'm not really dedicating the time that I need to to this. So this is a huge piece of advice for anyone looking to even start a side hustle is like on your time off, you do need to be working on this. And I'm trying to actually put it in my calendar. So it seems more official because I, you know, everyone in business uses calendars. So if I have it in a calendar, it feels like, okay, you actually have to get this done. So yeah, that's a big update. And also just, I've been going out so much. I don't know what happened. It's like the ghost of my 24 year old past took over my body and I was going out Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, like insane because that's also the beauty of when you don't have a structured nine to five you can go out on a thursday and you don't work till friday at five so you can afford the hangover all day and so for the past like two weeks especially right around halloween leading up to even last weekend i was going out as if i was 24 like i was slamming wine going to pregames going out drunk eating at mcdonald's sleeping in and i was just like whoa i took inventory of what i was spending my money on in the last week because it just was dwindling and i'm like oh my god i've been eating out every day for the last like probably 12 plus days i haven't cooked a meal at home like not even a smoothie not a breakfast not not even like a snack in 12 days that's not okay especially because i was just talking about how i was getting into cooking more i felt a lot healthier And it's like the time flies here. I don't know how it's already mid-November, but with the whole, like, again, not having a set schedule or nine to five, the weeks just fly by. And because of that, it's like, it is kind of hard to stay structured with eating too. Like, again, if I'm working five to 1030, then I'm not really eating dinner when I usually would. I have to bring it into the shop or take a quick 10 minute break and shove something down my throat. So it's not, oh yeah, eat dinner at, 6 p.m. and I eat breakfast at 9 a.m. and lunch at this like whereas in my life back home it was like that it was okay yeah you eat breakfast at 7:30 when you're done with your workout lunch is 12 to 1 dinner is anywhere between like 6 to 8 here that's out the window so that has been a major adjustment with like my health i've noticed in the past few weeks i just felt more tired that's why i was sleeping in more And then when I sleep in, I don't really feel motivated to cook something healthy, so I'll just go get, like, a ham and cheese croissant. You've definitely seen those on my stories. I've been, like, obsessed with them. Like, I'll probably turn into a ham and cheese croissant in the next five minutes because I've been eating them every day. And obviously, there's, like, zero nutritional value in that, and I've noticed the effects of that. I'm feeling bloated, tired, less energized. I don't even want to work out. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I love yoga and Pilates and I've just been like not doing it because I'm just so physically tired and like exhausted mentally. So that's something that as I think about, you know, the summer and it's going to get even more crazy. You know, people are going to invite you out more. People are going out more to the beach. People are constantly doing something. I need to figure out more discipline in my life around eating, around going to work out just around routines that I used to have, like even journaling, like I haven't done that in forever and I used to do it every day for like six months. And so it's it makes me like a little bummed out, but it's like, okay, just react to it and say, you don't have to beat yourself up, just do better moving forward starting tomorrow. Again, not starting next week, not starting in the new year, not starting on my birthday, like just do it tomorrow. So that's where I'm at in terms of like getting my life on track. Um, it's really all over the place. Again, I'm moving, my schedule is different every week. Uh, I work sporadic days, I it's a lot. And it really showed me like the power of self-discipline and thank God I have friends around me that are self disciplined, and I can learn from them. So I definitely need to hack some of their tips and apply them to my own life. What else is going on here? I'm going on a trip to Melbourne at the end of this month for American Thanksgiving. There's a lot of Americans I know that live in Melbourne from back home. So we're going to try and do something for Thanksgiving. And I'm going with my two friends from um, Sydney and we're gonna just have some fun in Melbourne. Melbourne is super artsy, it's very hipster. From what I've heard from everyone, basically Sydney is like LA and Melbourne is like San Francisco. So I'm so excited to see that because Like I said, time is flying here and I realized, wait, it's already been like almost three or four months since I've been here, I need to start planning trips and actually see all of Australia. Even Sydney, like when I first got here, I was going to a new neighborhood every day and now I just kind of stopped, I've just been trapped in what I call the Bondi bubble. And even there's like these cute beaches next door and I haven't even seen them. So I'm really trying to make an effort to go see all these different beaches and places and even within Australia, other cities. So Melbourne's on the books for end of November And if any of you guys have been there, please let me know. Of course, you know, I have my American friends that are going to show us around and give us recommendations, but I really love to hear, you know, people that found the hole in the wall dumpling spot or like a fun karaoke spot with bring your own wine, like anything like that, I would love to hear about. I think that's it. Um, Yeah, jobs are really hard to find here because everyone's a backpacker. I've been trying to get out of my gelato job and it's... I I don't know how I literally applied to 50 plus admin or receptionist jobs just so I can have the weekend back and like no one's responding or the position's been filled or I'm not a fit or whatever the case is. And it's like, what, how, how is this happening? I applied, I will take two hours every day and do it and nothing's happened. So I've realized I need to go like into a recruitment agency and find some help because like I said, summer's coming up. I want my weekends back. And I want a little more structure so that I have, you know, a set schedule. Like, yep, you're going to come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's it. Whereas now it's like, I never know what days I'm working or not until the week before. So yeah, that is the nomadic backpacker lifestyle. And it's it's definitely something to adjust to. Like, you can obviously be a structured, disciplined backpacker. I have tons of friends that came here. They have routines. They have businesses. They follow them. They're, they barely go out and then there's me who who toes the line whereas there's weeks where i'm you know super disciplined working on everything i need to do carving out time to do things and then all of a sudden for 2 weeks i'm going out eating mcdonald's being boy crazy and realizing what a piece of shit i was so that's where we are now moving forward the goal is definitely be more self disciplined eat healthier get back to your routine And just have fun because they call it silly season summer here, and I can tell it's going to be crazy. So stay tuned for those stories because it's going to be out of control, and um, I'll update you guys on Melbourne when I get back from that trip. So with that, let's jump into today's interview with Michelle from Holisticism.com. All right, everyone. We have Michelle of Holisticism on the show today, and the reason I wanted to have her on was because she has such an interesting story in that she used to create and edit content for a ton of different wellness brands, which I'm obsessed with wellness. That's been half of my content. But I started to realize I was kind of going down a scary path of wellness, like becoming obsessive about it. And I read Michelle's story, and it really resonated with me. So Michelle, I would love to hear from your perspective. What is your background with wellness, and how did you actually develop Holisticism.com?
1: yeah well, thank you for having me. So um, uh, my background with wellness is long sorted and confusing, as I think it is with many women, um, because wellness is often conflated with societal expectations um, of you know, feminine beauty um, and masked as something that's good for us when really it Forces us to conform to something that's really not healthy for us. So um, <laughs> I have a complicated relationship with the word wellness. But I got into the wellness space relatively early. I was a professional dancer, so I grew up um, seeing nutritionists and eating somewhat healthy, but mostly because uh, while I was training to be a, become a professional ballet dancer. Um, I was really pushed down the path of disordered eating from my teachers and mentors. So (laughs) it was sort of interesting and shadowy that they would suggest I go to a nutritionist who would tell me to only eat salad and not eat anything with fat in it and try to keep my weight under 100 pounds when I was a growing human being. Um, And that was interesting and curious. (laughs) Yeah, right. So I had this sort of interesting relationship to the wellness space at a really young age. And, uh, probably I saw, I think I saw my first nutritionist when I was 12 years old. And, um, she told me, she recommended, I, I keep my body fat percentage where it was, which was around 7%. So, so really like kind of crazy and weird world of dance. Um, but I actually got deeper in the wellness space when I was 17, I was diagnosed with epilepsy, which is a seizure disorder that doesn't have a cure. So I started having these crazy seizures and no one could really tell me what was wrong with me. I was a really highly motivated kid. I did really well in school. I was super tightly wound. Um, and I was honestly like preparing to become a professional dancer and have a career in dance. And I was completely sidelined at probably the most important stage of my career and development right before I went, uh, to school, back to high school as a senior, um, and it forced me to stop and reorient my life and where my life was going because I couldn't do what I wanted to do anymore. My body did not obey me in the same way that it used to. So I saw many nutritionists, many, many neurologists, many hormone specialists, all the experts on brain health, and no one could figure out why I was having these crazy seizures and uh, why I was so sick. So they put me on a really intense prescription drug regimen. And that made me even worse (laughs) to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I ended up getting brain damage and uh, losing my short term memory. And like, that's problematic in and of itself, (laughs) right? Kind of need your brain. But for someone whose only job is to memorize choreography, essentially, and be skinny, um, like if if I couldn't use my memory, if I didn't have a short-term memory, then I couldn't do my job, which was dance, right? And remember choreography. So I ended up going, you know, kind of rejiggering my path because I couldn't do what I wanted to do anymore. And I ended up going to college. I went to NYU and I studied dance there. And I sort of figured I'd bide my time um, and relearn how to use my brain. And then everything would be fine, right? I kind of thought I'd maybe create like a path around this problem, um, sort of circum circumnavigating it instead of going straight through it. And that opened up a whole other can of worms. And that could be an entire podcast in and of itself. But I ended up um, meeting a teacher who was a Reiki master and a professor at my school. My teacher recommended that I go see this Re- Reiki practitioner, energy practitioner, And I was super skeptical. I just, I, I figured if my UCLA neurologist couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, then I doubted some sort of random person could, um, which was so rude and and, um, myopic of me. But I ended up going and seeing this person because I was so sick and I was really at my wits end. I kind of didn't want to live anymore. And after one session with them, I never had another seizure again. I was able to go off my medication and, um, and, my, and be back to normal. And that was over seven years ago. Um, and it made me realize and sort of reorient my relationship with my body and my mental state and the world around me because it became clear that, you know, unwellness, sickness, illness, uh, dis-ease doesn't come from one place, right? It's not usually like sort of one target nuclei It's an array of things and it's, it's dimensional and, um, prismatic. Everything, everything relates to something else in your life, in your body, in your health, in your relationships. They're not separate entities. They all have to do with each other. And I had to come to terms with the fact that there are some things that I couldn't explain and I couldn't logic my way out of, and they worked and I needed to have faith and just, you know, see the proof of my own, like how I had basically been cured by this person and accept it, even though I couldn't logic my way around it and do better in staying open and also just learning as much as I could about how to make wellness more available in my life, but also more accessible to more people because I realized that, you know, here I was this like white girl living in New York and I happened to meet this amazing person who was recommended to me through a teacher at a prestigious university, like talk about privilege. I was the luckiest person on the planet and there were millions of people who are in the same boat as me who were never going to be able to have that access to care. And that sent, felt supremely unfair. And it felt like part of my job needed to be making those opportunities as available as possible to as many people as possible.
0: I love that whole story because you just touched on so many different things that so many people can relate to, especially the dancer world. I know so many people who have suffered eating disorders from being a dancer and then being a college dancer and then trying to make it a career where they're actually still reeling from the effects of it. Like they haven't even gotten over what they went through. And I'm curious, like, what do you think it is about that community that seems to always have this one issue around weight and staying skinny and really putting that pressure on young girls?
1: I think that obviously the dance world is, it's aesthetic. So part of it, we can, we can sort of like tur- top level. It's the way that you look and align quote unquote. So the way that a body looks on stage is more beautiful quote unquote, uh, when it's clean, when it's longer, when it looks leaner. Um, but on a more macro level, like we're seeing athletes from Nike's professional running, um, team come forward and talk about how their, their male coaches push them to be thinner and thinner and thinner to the point that they developed the female athlete triad, which essentially you lose your period. Uh, you start to break bones. You have total, like, you know, um, like hormonal dysfunction in your body um, that leads to depression, suicidal thoughts, all of that stuff. Right. So I don't think that it's actually just in the dance world. I think it's a part of being a woman, um, in general and a high achieving woman. Mm -hmm. So many, all the dancers I know are like super perfectionist human beings, right? Like if not that many of us are still dancing professionally, but pretty much all of us are monumentally successful in our own ways. My graduating class from Tish, uh, like, you know, that selected group of people, they're the most talented people I know, and they've gone off into the tech world, into the art world into, you know, film and television, they've done so much and translated skills from dance into those, their, you know, whatever their the industry that they're in now. But I think that there's a level of um, control as well and becoming a perfectionist and being able to control that one thing, which is how you look. Um, And also just general oppressive societal norms. that, (laughs) that keep women distracted from what matters and what's important by putting something like weight as the number one thing in their minds. So when you're constantly worrying about the number of calories in your body or how many pounds are on the scale all day long, that really prevents or blocks your ability to think more deeply about other issues, perhaps where you're being oppressed in other ways. Um, and that works out really well for anyone who's trying to oppress women, right? Because we're distracted by stupid shit, like our body image. So I think that it's, I obviously have a lot of opinions about this. Um, but I think that I it. like, it's more, <laughs> it's more of a feminist issue, uh, than anything. Of course, there's also psychological implications and I'm sure that there are certain, you know, Certain people genetically are primed to be more at risk for eating, for disordered eating behaviors. Um, I know that to be true because genetically mothers pass along, our mothers who have eating disorders are more likely to have daughters who have eating disorders. That could be, you know, something that's in our epigenetic cyst codes or our DNA is actually changed when we have disordered eating. And it also could be, um, sort of like a psychographic, right? Like if your mom has a disordered relationship to food and her body, then you're likely to mirror that um, because that's what you grew up with. And I think that a lot of people who end up in the dance world have those types of relationships just, and the, then of course the dance world perpetuates it. But uh, right. yeah, it makes me really mad.
0: <laughs> oh no, it makes me sick because I've heard so many stories. Like a friend even told me in college, her, Coach basically said, like, you're too big to be dancing. Oh, yeah. Like, you're going to spit out this game. And I'm like, someone actually said that to you? And she's like, yeah. And I still, like, am scarred from that. And it's been 10 years. Like, she just can't totally. get over it. It's insane.
1: Totally. Um, yeah, it's, that's unfortunately very normal. And I, now I, I feel like I'm 30 now. So I feel like uh, getting out of ballet and getting into modern dance was really helpful in my body image and also understanding how my body worked. Um, and having gratitude for my body was really helpful, but I still have like little flashes of, I remember a teacher when I was really young, probably 15 or 16 told me to only eat soup. Like that was the only thing I could eat for like oh an entire God. season because she said soup was quote unquote, very slimming. So I still really like soup, but I always make this joke with my boyfriend where I'm like,
0: Oh, you know, it's so slimming, yeah. Um, but yeah, that stuff, this stuff stays with you. It's really, it's crazy. That's so interesting because there's something else that you just talked about, which I feel like I just realized in the last two weeks was obsessing over weight and scale and not actually thinking about what could be causing weight gain or weight loss. So Mm -hmm. I, I literally just did a podcast on this where I used to be the type of person where I had a lot of limiting beliefs around exercising where Mm. I just like partied in college. And then when I was out of college, I was just having so much fun in Chicago that I was like, Oh, well, I'm just never going to be the type of person that's waking up early and exercising. That's not me. And then I got to a place when I moved home to Florida where I just became really into my health. And so I started you know, going on meal plans and downloading guides and hiring a personal trainer and signing up for spin classes to actually the point right before I moved to Australia, I was doing two classes a day every day for probably a month, like spinning and Pilates, then personal training and spinning. And now looking back, like it just hit me like that was probably overload for my hormones. And no wonder my body wasn't actually seeing a change. Like I did feel better that I was getting out of bed and committing exercise. But the fact that, I thought I was going to be, you know, ripped and toned and this and that. And I was like, why am I not seeing results? I'm doing 14 freaking classes a week <laughs> yeah, <and> Totally. nothing's <laughs> happening. And like you said, it's just cause I was so obsessed with like tracking and hitting the weight goals and blah, 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 that I wasn't even paying attention to like, am I sleeping enough? Am I stressed Great. out? Like relax yeah. for a second. And now that I've moved to Australia I have not been stressed out. I've been chilling. I've been eating real food. I've just been doing yoga and Pilates and I've somehow feel better. And I feel like I look better. And I'm like, you know why? Probably because I'm not stressed the hell out all the time. So I would love to hear your perspective on, on that whole subject of tracking and downloading apps and following plans. Like have you dealt with that as well? Oh, yeah, totally. So I, I really
1: like this idea. I, I study Jungian psychology. So I really like the idea. And Carl Jung believes that we all contain archetypes within us. And he had, you know, these four main archetypes, but other people, more modern <laughs> Jungian analysts and scholars have expanded that archetype idea. And one of the main archetypes that most people have is the addict. And the addict archetype isn't bad, right? but because archetypes aren't negative or positive, they just are they're dimensions of our personality and we can embody them, we can embody many at the same time. we can have one that's you know more dominant than another. but the addict archetype is good, the light aspect of it is to point at us where we have an insecurity in our lives, where we maybe have an where we're out of balance. And of course when it's when it's in the dark, it's like, that addict takes over and um ends up putting other areas of your life on the back burner perhaps relationships or the things that really matter you lose track or focus of them because your addiction takes over but i i'm, I'm certainly like i have an addictive personality um I kind of have a hyperbolic personality, I think. So, you know, I I don't just listen to one book a week. I listen to like seven books a week. You know, I don't just like try to grow my list for you know, a hundred percent in a year. I want to grow it a thousand percent in a year. You know, like I don't just want to raise money. I want to raise like VC money from the hardest investors to get money from. So mm-hmm. that's a, that's neither good nor bad about me. It is an aspect of me that I have a complicated relationship with, but when it comes to exercise i've certainly been sort of like in that addicted state right because it does feel good endorphins make us feel really good so when we exercise a lot we're like you know what i feel fucking awesome i feel amazing i'm so happy and often it can kind of become a balm or like a soother for or a distraction for other things in our lives that maybe we don't want to pay attention to or we don't want to deal with. Right. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that that's always a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a distraction to take your mind off something and to not dwell on an issue or a problem, It becomes an issue when we focus and we get more in that addictive state, right? We focus all of our attention on this one area and we're in avoidance of our other areas. So personally for me, like, you know, I, I stopped dancing when I started working in tech. Um, and I was also, I'd been working in New York in the wellness space. I was a sort of like celebrity trainer and nutritionist. And I was working a lot. So I was exercising a lot. I was seeing lots of clients and I looked really good, right? Like I, that was my job was essentially to look good. When I started working in tech, uh, I had to work, (laughs) you know, from eight to six. So I couldn't go work out two hours a day. That felt crazy. Um, So I started running and like running pretty normally. And I noticed that my body changed a little bit, but like not in crazy ways. I didn't feel like I, I gained so much weight or I looked so different. I ended up running a bunch of marathons, um, and then a couple ultra, uh, and then an ultra marathon um, in a span of like two or three years. And then uh, one day, I just decided I didn't want to run anymore. I actually had started holisticism, and I was busy, um, and I stopped running. And that was like you know probably two years ago. I work out maybe three days a week now, and I, I sometimes do Pilates. Like it's it's not a lot. And I look exactly the same, and I don't have like one of those blessed bodies i've not i mean I am really lucky that my body's super healthy, but i I was one of those people who gained weight very easily, especially when I was nervous or had stress it I wasn't one of those freaks of nature who could like eat anything they wanted and never gain weight um but yeah. It's always like a little bit fascinating to me that when I just like kind of unclenched my butthole about it, like my body relaxed and was able to just do its thing. And I think I look really good now. And sometimes I still have days where I'm like, "Ugh, I feel fat or I don't feel good in my body or I don't feel like myself. And, but there's so few and far between like so much less than when I was working out constantly, you know, or when I was running, I don't know, like 150
0: miles a week. Um, and I'm like pretty, I, I feel like I look the same. Yeah, that is so true that now I just gauge how I feel like generally on my energy, how are things fitting? You know, like, do I feel happy? Do I feel depressed? Like that kind of goes back to the whole, what you were saying before of root issues. Is it just because of what you're eating or is it anxiety or sleeping? Or have you even checked your hormone levels? Like kind of what you were saying, sometimes we don't want to deal with that. There was part of me that was like, maybe I should go to someone that specializes in hormones and see if I'm out of whack or get a blood test or check out something. And I just was like, uh, I'd rather skip all that and just download this Instagram fitness guide and see if it works. And sometimes you do try other routes.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, I, I, I think that, I think that like changing your diet can help to a degree. I think that exercising can help to a degree. I think that, yeah, of course, like going to someone who's an endocrinologist who specializes in hormones, especially if you think you have a hormone disorder like PCOS or endometriosis, that can be really important. But I just, there are like, in terms of optimization, And, you know, sort of biohacking, which I think has become a really popular thing amongst everyone in the wellness space, right? Of, like, oh, I'm not eating anything inflammatory for the rest of my life because I want to, like, have the best brain power. I wonder, just, you know, being sort of as skeptical as I am, I also have a degree in nutrition, so, like, take this with the grain of salt. But, like, okay, how much better incrementally actually does... uh, I don't know, eating anti-inflammatory, how much really, how much better does that actually make your life from a holistic perspective? Like just viewing it, how much like maybe anxiety or stress that you have when you go to a restaurant and you see that there's nothing you can eat on the menu or when you tell people and like you're embarrassed or, you know, like, or the fact that you're buying all these expensive foods or supplements in order to like, help with whatever issue that you are, you think you might have, but you're not even sure if you do have it. Right. And I think that's where wellness can kind of be insidious in the way that it promises so much promises to change your life, right. To make you a different, better person, but it, it isn't always that, um, And really like the answers are not usually that complicated and they're not usually like so, so, so crazy expensive. Now, sometimes they are, you know, like my, my partner, my like life partner, um, he has brain cancer and for him, there are lots of things that we've done holistically to like keep him healthy. But one of the major things that he's done is change his diet to eating keto and that has been amazing in improving his health and reducing his tumor growth and it makes a huge difference for him but he has a is a very rare issue and a very severe issue and i don't know if for the for the average person if do, going keto and how stressful it is and how othering it is and how expensive it is if it's really worth that but i think that that's a decision that you know we have to make for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And reminding ourselves that we have personal sovereignty and choice when it comes to our well-being and our health, and that we are the ones who knows know our bodies best. You've lived in your body way longer than anyone else. You know it better than anyone else. So making decisions that are right for you based off of what you know about your body, I think is the most empowering thing that you can do.
0: Absolutely. And actually listening to your body because I realized at some point in, you know, this whole wellness journey that I never even paid attention. You know, you just kind of scarf down food and go on your way. And it's like, wait, 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 I always feel uncomfortable after I eat this. I'm always burping after I eat this. I always want to pass out after I eat this. Why don't I that's obviously my body reacting to it, but I was just suppressing it and ignoring it. And now it's like so important for me to be like, do I feel like shit after, or do I actually have energy or how do I truly feel?
1: Yes. It's very astute of you. And I like, I love that you said that because I teach a lot of intuition, um, just intuition work in general to when I'm talking about business or when I'm talking about just like being a human and part of like, just everyone has an intuition, right? But like the baseline level of intuition is listening to your body because our body is constantly giving us signs and signals and information. And we're really fucking good at ignoring it. Like Mm -hmm. think about the last time you really like had to pee and then you just didn't go. Like you kept sitting at your desk or like, you were like, Oh, I should stop. Like I should stop driving or whatever I'm doing. And I should go to the bathroom. But like you waited and you waited and you waited and you waited and you waited, but your body was giving you really specific information. Like go to the bathroom. You're an idiot. And you ignored it. And do we do that? All the time. So much so that we don't even notice when our body is giving us information anymore. And it's really similar with our intuition. And you know, you can think of, if you're not into sort of holistic or sort of mystic or spiritual stuff, that's totally cool. Um, it's just information. Like intuition is just information. You could swap those two words out. But when you walk into a room or you meet a person and you get a feeling, we often ignore those feelings, right? And we or we dispel them and we intellectualize them instead of listening to what they are, which is and acknowledging that they are valid information. Um and we can choose to do whatever whatever, whatever we want with it. But um I think that like when I teach people, I teach this stuff a lot. When I teach people, we start with the body and like your body is the best antenna out there. Like it is telling you stuff all the time. And if you want to strengthen your own intuition in every way, like start with your body first.
0: Absolutely. And it pisses me off that not going to the bathroom has now become some sort of badge of honor in the workplace for how busy you are. I hear this all the time. Like I was so busy. I didn't even go to the bathroom. I haven't even peed today. Like as if now I look at you as such a professional, like it's such a weird... That, that is bizarre. Your body. Yeah, and people are like, "Oh, I just haven't gone to the bathroom." I actually remember there was an article on LinkedIn about this because
1: <laughs> that is are, the weirdest thing
0: I've ever heard. <laughs> I know <that's> people <laughs> are just like, "Oh, I haven't even I haven't even had time to pee today," and I'm like, "That is so awful." Your body is like begging you to release something from it, and you're just ignoring it to like wrap up an email that doesn't. That's even just stupid.
1: Point. Yeah, like l- unless you are literally saving a life, like you in an emergency room. I don't right. think that, I think that's the most narcissistic thing I've ever heard. Like, right. if you, <laughs> I think that is so stupid. <laughs> no. That and
0: the whole lunchtime thing of like, haven't even eaten lunch today, just been totally forgot to eat. I'm like, you forgot to eat? That's like the only thing I think about all day. <laughs> like everything, my whole day is based around eating, but that is a very American thing. Like, I've been living in Australia now for a few months, and I've noticed, I'm like, Americans, we love to tout how much we work based on oh, yeah. how little we pay attention to our health. Apparently <laughs> like we don't yeah. eat lunch. We didn't go to the bathroom. We only slept four hours and worked 80 hour weeks. And I'm like, it's so backwards. It's insane.
1: Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely going out of style. Um, mm-hmm. I think like busyness in general, because it, we're just, we're, constantly given evidence that that does not equate to an optimized intelligent life, um, or like good work. Um, so I, I think that that will be a thing of the past, hopefully in a few years, especially as people become more entrepreneurial and, um, sort of embrace the gig economy more and being freelancers or, um, you know, 1099 type of employees. um, because I just don't think that that's like, I think that people will experiment with their schedules and realize, oh, working 10 hours a day doesn't make sense for the creative work that I do. I don't, I don't make good work this way. I need to be more empowered to like, make choices around my schedule and decisions around the clients that I take on or how I work um, in order to actually put good work into the world and not just put more garbage out into the world. But mm-hmm. yeah, I worked in tech for a really long time. So I I have a lot of problems with that sort of, um,
0: with that, with what you're talking about now, because I saw it a lot working in tech. Oh, yeah. It's just in corporate America, it's the constant, you know, grind, hustle, do anything you can to make it happen. But I do agree. I have seen a huge shift, especially even just in the content I consume. People are now talking about sleep hygiene and, and, you know, different ways to optimize sleep. And I'm like, I don't ever remember reading anything about sleep outside of just get seven to nine hours. So I do see more content around all these different subjects that Americans typically have issues with. And I want to talk uh, about the content that you produce for holisticism. So tell us a little bit more about what it actually focuses on and what the goal of it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think to your point of like contents kind of changing, right. People are talking more about sleep hygiene or they're talking about adaptogens. And I think that that's fine. It's great. But the end point usually is like sleep hygiene. So you can do better at work. (laughs) sleep high or adaptogen. So you can be smarter and you can work longer or like, you know, meditation. So like, you don't want to kill yourself so you can keep going to work, you know, and that seems like a little bit backwards to me. Um, but I, I started holisticism because I was, I'd worked in tech and then I was the editor, global editorial director of a wellness site for a couple of years. And I totally hated the content we were putting out. Um, if I had to write another fucking story about a bikini body workout, I was going to poke my own eyes out. (laughs) And I just felt like number one, this industry is stupid. Uh, this sort of like pseudo wellness industrial complex is dumb. It's all around capitalism and making money and selling products to people in need who are in like a sort of state of desperation, who will look for any sort of salve to, fix them temporarily, right? Whether it's, um, some adaptogen powder that's sex dust to make your, whatever your bedroom feel better, or whether it's some sort of essential oil blend that you need to put on that's like $75, or if it was, you know, working with this amazing intuitive woman who's $400 an hour. Right. And I just felt like number one, this is crap. Um, we're not offering people real solutions that are long lasting and this is completely elitist and classist and it's not for people who need it. And around the time of the election in the United States, uh, in 2016, I feel like that was a big awakening for a lot of people of the, how much pain and destruction was like breeding in the United States and in human beings and how much healing was necessary for us to evolve as a society. And I just thought about the work that I was doing and I felt like I wasn't helping anyone. And maybe I was made, contributing to the problem of keeping people stuck and complacent and not evolving and making the world a better place. Um, so I wanted to make something that talked about everything, the wellness or well being has to do with life and with living and with being being a human on the planet who contributes to society and does, does for the better. Um, I wanted to talk about wellness in the context of politics and socioeconomics and, you know, and bring up the fact that like, you know, there are websites out there with celebrities faces on them, hawking expensive wellness products that are completely out of touch with what people are begging for in terms of healing and, and being. And I wanted to offer a more sort of accessible perspective to spirituality and sort of mysticism too. you know, mysticism is not new. It's one of the oldest, (laughs) oldest jobs in the world next to prostitution, right. Is healers (laughs) and healing and mystics and shamans. They all have a different name depending on the culture that you come from. And they've in the past, however many years, 200, 300 years, been relegated to, um, sort of like mystic woo woo hippie, um, women that you can't take seriously, which is a misogyny problem. But also not, I didn't find that anyone in this space of sort of talking about mysticism was talking about it in a way that felt accessible on an, on a day-to-day basis. So I didn't want to tell people to quit their jobs and go move to Bali and like adopt a spiritual lifestyle. I wanted to talk, teach people and learn myself how to integrate spirituality and mysticism and magic every day into every aspect of their lives and intuition. And, you know, sort of break the binary structure of having to choose between intellect and intuition or mysticism and academia. And, Be able to be all things, right? I like, I love me a good Akashic Records reading. I'm a certified Akashic Records reader, but I also fucking kick ass at running a business and growing. Like I'm, I dominate at SEO strategy and I like, I love data and I love algorithms and I can do both things. And I think many people out there are realizing that they want to do both. They want to be both. They want to live a life of both and as opposed to trying to choose one thing and fit into it, whether it's our gender identity or our political belief system or our religion or whatever it might be. Um, so holisticism was created to embody the holistic, the mystic, and the realistic, and to talk about all three of those things and how to be a human and also like have a little magic in your life and also like be as well as possible. Um, from our, from my perspective.
0: <laughs> I love that. Like, it, it's so true. I think we like to put so many things on um, into boxes or labels instead of just being like, why can't it be all two or three or five things? Like even myself, I catch myself doing this where I'll, you know, hear about even your experience, for example, with the Reiki healer and how that was the one thing that actually worked for you there's always that one little flag that goes up like, okay, but what was the science behind that? What really happened? What, you know, how could you prove that? And you talked about this, like logic, like using logic to get your way out of it. We constantly need like proof and tangible facts and evidence to prove that when it's like, okay, then how do you explain miracles? How do you explain things that science proven should not have been able to Solve that, but it did, you know, it's so crazy that you're, they're talking about all these different things in one place, which I think is really interesting and different.
1: Yeah. And here's the thing. We're never going to have enough evidence for anything we want to believe. Never.
0: Right. Like we
1: never have enough evidence. We always are searching for more. Think about your relationships. You're always searching for more evidence that the person you love loves you back. Always. Like mm-hmm. we can't just take it that they love us. Right. We're always looking for more. And so, I think it's normal to be skeptical and I actually think it's really good to be skeptical. I call myself an optimistic skeptic because like, if you don't have, if you're not like a little bit skeptical about something, you're totally going to join a cult on accident and no one will like that. You know what I mean? Like we gotta, we gotta be like grounded. We gotta use our brains cause we have them and we should, but we also like, I think we need to stay open to possibility if it feels appropriate. Um, and when we get evidence that we, that's undeniable, I think we need to listen to it as information and, and put that into our mathematical equation and decide if that's a variable that we want to trust or not.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So something that's interesting too, that you talk about in your about story is the whitewashed and, and, you know, like you said, everything being, Masked as good for you, but it's actually just oppressing us further, making us think that there's something constantly wrong with us. I can totally relate to that because even reading, you know, the several blogs that I do, it's like, oh my God, do I need to get microblading? Do I need to get laser hair removal? And these are beauty things. And now on top of that, now Mm -hmm. it's wellness of, oh my gosh, did I do this? Did I go to this specialist? Did I go to this doctor? Like all, you know, 25 million things that we're constantly shoved down our throat. So how do you curate the content for holisticism without it becoming kind of like, like you said, it was before like bikini body in five days and flatter belly in 10 days. Like what, what lens do you use to actually put that content out?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So this is a little bit, I'll, I'll approach it from two perspectives, uh, sort of like the, Pragmatic business person in me and, and someone who is an editorial director, and also like from looking at the value proposition and long term vision of holisticism. So, I know who my ideal sort of reader client is that I work with and who comes to holisticism and trusts holisticism. Um, and they're typically someone who's a lot like you and me, right? They work in the real world and they also want to embody like and and understand and they're sort of like Sherlock Holmesian in like taking in information and wanting to figure things out, right? They're usually kind of a skeptical person and they're also curious. So they're like down to try something, but they're, they they kind of don't believe it until they see it. So I want to give them tools and information to make the best decisions for themselves when it comes to their well-being and I under the umbrella of well-being there's physical health there's mental health there's spiritual health there's also like what you do with your time so relationships and then your job or career so that's kind of what i look at and that's the content that i kind of create and um that's what drives me and my readers and what they're interested in so you know under that lens things like human design or astrology or energy healing or breath work or intuitive exercises are all fair game, but so is like, how do I create a conscious business? How do I become more intuitive in my day-to-day decisions as an entrepreneur? How do I launch a side gig that feels aligned with like what my soul's purpose is? How can I use tarot cards to make better decisions um, about my editorial calendar? Like things that I do as a sort of intuitive entrepreneur, to run my business that have worked really well for me personally, and I can share my own experiences. Right. Um, and then talking about things that people aren't talking about in the wellness space, like systemic, the systemic oppression and whitewashing washing of wellness. So, um, right now in the wellness space, just white supremacy is rampant. Um, (laughs) like it's, it's, horrifying. Um, and diversity and inclusion in wellness is like tantamount and paramount for holisticism. So we recently changed all of our branding to reflect BIPOC women and non-gender binary people, LGBTQ models. So we're not just, you know, a website full of uh, rich white ladies who have perfect skin and blonde hair. Um, and talking about, you know, the problems that are in the wellness space that are real, that, um, you know, the sort of spiritual bypassing in the wellness space, um, even like the misuse of the word spiritual bypassing, which happens a lot in wellness. Spiritual bypassing is a term that psychologists and psychiatrists use um, that describes using spirituality to be in avoidance of uh, addressing one's actual issues. (laughs) Many people think that it's it's something else. Um so they misquoted a lot, but that happens. And I think what also happens in the wellness space is a lot of um gaslighting around BIPOC um people and practitioners who want to be in this world of wellness and well-being and deserve to be and are not allowed in because um there are leaders and gurus and healers who get a lot of who, who don't want to address these issues and, uh, talk about how much of an, how much this is actually an issue in wellness in general. Um, so yeah, I feel like I kind of went off on a tangent there, but I'm, I'm super passionate about D I in the space. Um, I don't think that anyone is doing enough us included and, um, yeah, it, it really matters to me.
0: And how do you make sure that you're getting all those perspectives? Because, you know, in playing devil's advocate, there might be people listening that are like, how can you talk about that if you are a white, affluent, privileged person?
1: Yeah, good question. So you can definitely assume that I'm white, but the other perceptions that you have of me may or may not be correct. So that would be my first, <laughs> my first thing I can say. Um, but... Just because I'm a white person doesn't mean I can't talk about diversity and inclusion in the wellness space. And in fact, I have a responsibility as a white cis cis um, presenting woman, so a woman who someone who presents themselves as a quote unquote straight or typical woman who is white who can be perceived as affluent. Um, it is my responsibility to make space and use my privilege to bring other people into the conversation and to shine a light on issues that I see that are not just reflected to me by my BIPOC women who are in my community and in my personal circle, but also like pulling my fucking head out of my ass and noticing what's happening. You know, we have plenty of data <laughs> that, that shows us that algorithms are oppressive, you know, and something, for example, something that I'm experimenting with right now when we changed all of our imagery to include people of color, um, basically non-white people, right on Instagram, our reach went our reach went down significantly and I wanted to understand where that was coming from as someone who loves data and who also works in tech and understands data so I started digging into that and essentially you know algorithms amplify what social media algorithms amplify the content that we already interact with. So if you follow a thousand people and let's say a hundred of those people are people of color, um, but you don't ever like their stuff, you know, you don't really interact with it. You don't double click it. You don't comment on it. You don't share it. Then you're slowly, but surely not going to see that come up in your feed which means that you're going to have a feed full of white people who look like you. And while that might not feel problematic or it might feel like, well, you didn't do anything purposefully to perpetuate that system of oppression. You actually did because you didn't go out of your way to make sure that you were interacting and supporting people of color. So something that all of us can do, especially white allies is not just follow people of color. It's interact with them, amplify them, share what they do um, like them, give them support. Because the more you do that, more, the more they're going to show up in your feed. And that's important because you need to continue to see them. But also, like they need to continue to have reach. And if you are feeling resistant to that, if you're listening to this out there and you're like, that's not my job, that's, that's not my responsibility, that's so much extra work, well, then you're being racist. And that's the long and short of it. (laughs) So in order to be a white ally, in order to not be racist, we need to go out of our way to amplify and elevate people of color, um, to amplify and elevate non-gender binary people. Um, because that's our responsibility to use our privilege to, for the better. So, um, I do my best and I fuck up a lot. (laughs) Like I mess up all the time and I stick my foot in my mouth all the time. I'm, always trying to learn and I'm trying to listen as much as I possibly can and throw my voice in when it it matters or when it's needed. Um, It's my job as an ally to listen more than I talk. So I try to do that. I have an amazing group of women who I go to and who I like just admire above and beyond who I consider friends and allies and mentors and collaborators. Um, and yeah, I, I ask for their advice and I try to pay them as much as I can and involve them in projects and bring them with me and, uh, nominate them when I get, you know, (laughs) when I get asked to be in an article, um, or to be on a podcast. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's my answer to that. And I'm sure there are ways that I could do better, but
0: that's what I'm doing right now. I think it's so responsible and productive that you, A, are not only having these conversations like this on a podcast, but then B, backing that up with what you're posting. Like I just saw in an email that you put out how there was racism in the yoga journal. And that could be from going back to your whole point on data and analytics, you might have thought, At some point in your life, okay, I can't post about these topics that are so polarizing. Like I can't have negative feedback. I don't want people to just jump off my page. Like, how do I keep people coming back? Like, obviously, running a website is part of having people on site or downloading or subscribing or whatever the case is. So, how do you find that balance of I want people to come to my site and enjoy and and have value and have these productive conversations, but I don't want to um alienate anyone or, you know, at the same time become clickbaity or spammy because I'm sure that's a fine line to walk. Totally.
1: Yeah. Good question. So, um, first and foremost, like, I just read this really good book. It's called everybody lies and it's about algorithms. So if you're kind of like not into that, you might not like it, but it's, it's really interesting. It talks about racism and sexism and misogyny and essentially how algorithms perpetuate a lot of those stereotypes and those belief systems and how we could potentially use algorithms for the better. Um, and in it, there's an example of, there was a terrorist attack here in San Bernardino, I think two years ago. And, um, it was, you know, two Muslim people were the shooters, were the active shooters. And President Obama, it must have been a while ago because president, the president was President Obama. And President Obama came on screen uh, and did a national address. And in his first national address, he talked about how, like, we should love our Muslim brothers and sisters. They are citizens of the United States as well. And um, we shouldn't, like, stereotype them as terrorists. And... After that, Google search results for kill Muslims increased exponentially. So that conversation, what he did, sort of being didactic or pedantic, um, just caused in people to be infuriated uh, who were already racist, right? Pro- likely already racist. And um, then he came on and did another address a couple weeks later, and he talked about instead um, how some of the greatest athletes, the greatest artists, the greatest actors and actresses Uh, in America are Muslim American. And for the first time in a month since that act of shooting, um, that terrorist attack, Google search results flipped from kill Muslims to best, like most amazing uh, Muslim people in the military, most incredible Muslim people in the United States who are actors. So the learning there was we, if we can spark people's curiosity as opposed to guilt tripping them, we can get a lot farther in changing their mind. And so when I talk about this stuff, it's hard for me, you know, right now I'm, I'm always, I was really fired up. You probably heard it in my voice. I get angry yeah. um, because it's so, it's so like infuriating to me. Um, but if I can come from a perspective of like, how can I make someone curious about this who maybe has never thought about this or maybe is like, doesn't care literally doesn't care because they don't see the point yet. Um, without being judgmental of that, you know, my gut reaction is like, how could you possibly not care? (laughs) It makes me want to cry. Like how could you possibly not care that other people are being oppressed? Like, how could you be so selfish? But if I come from that perspective, I'm not going to change anyone's mind. So if I can come from a perspective of curiosity and piquing their curiosity and also introducing people like readers to in sort of, um, not sneaky, but like roundabout ways to women of color who are amazing practitioners and healers to practices that are not, traditionally white and talking about how we should honor them and not appropriate them and why appropriation is bad (laughs) and like not make people feel necessarily super guilty about it, but also like kind of school them on it, but also pique their curiosity Then I think I'm doing a good job. And so I can do that by talking the way that I'm talking to you right now. Right. Which is like when I explain our algorithm situation, I think that's really interesting and it makes you want to know more. And it also, without saying like, well, you're racist. If you don't have, if you're not seeing black people or people of color on your screen on Instagram, you're racist. Um, by saying like going around that, right. And just saying like, well, this perhaps means that if we don't do this, then we might be perpetuating racist tendencies that doesn't call you out, but it certainly is going to make you think next time you scroll on your feed. Um, and like, all of those things. And if you're racist, I don't really want you to be part of holisticism. So if, (laughs) if me talking about like oppression and uh, white supremacy bothers you and makes you feel fragile, sorry, but I'm going to keep talking about it because my job is not to just like make people complacent and feel comfortable and write the same bullshit that everyone's writing. My job is to do something different. And if you don't like it that's okay you don't have to it's free. <laughs> you're not paying for it. You right. can like leave whenever you want. <laughs> I don't care. Um obviously I'd like right. you to hang out with us cuz I think we're fucking cool and we're talking about cool shit but like if you're not there you're not fucking there. That's cool. Go live your life and like maybe you'll think about this in 5 years and you'll be like, "You know what? There was something there." I should go back to that. And maybe holisticism will be around and maybe it won't, but it'll cause hopefully cause you to think a little bit deeper and you can land on whatever conclusion you want. That is the beauty of personal sovereignty. Uh, you don't have to agree with me or even like me, like most people don't, (laughs) but, um, it makes you think, and it makes you like stand up for yourself and what your belief system is and become more solidified and why you do the things that you do and really think about them and conscious, then great. That's what I, that's my job. And like, hopefully you're not racist, but like, you know, what, what are we going to do? Right.
0: <laughs> I think that's such a great piece of advice for anyone thinking about starting a channel and not even a, a channel uh, that is a wellness focus. It could be even a YouTube channel or beauty Instagram or a fitness guide that when it comes to criticism, people are so terrified to face rejection or have their ego bruised or anything that they would rather have everyone love everything about every aspect of whatever they're starting. Instead of saying what you just said, like, if that's who you are and it doesn't resonate with you, then you weren't my target audience to begin with anyways. Like, why would I want to every single person all over the world that then that doesn't even, that's not even a business model, then you're like being for everyone is not a strategic move. You have to find the niche. And that's something that even with my podcast, I learned.
1: If you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to nobody. Like you are creating a stereotype that is like... This, like, gumby white person, like, no, has, has no personality, right? That has no, like, actual likes and has no depth to it. If you're trying to talk to every single person, like, it just becomes so boring. And so do you. And so, like, getting super clear on your ideal client is something that I teach. I, I teach classes on intuitive entrepreneurship. And so this is the first thing that I teach. And it's like, what makes everyone roll their eyes because they don't want to do this work, right? Because like, this is objectively annoying. Like it's annoying for me to do ideal client casting. Um, I teach it in a really fun way. We use tarot cards and like, it's, I make it a lot more fun than it has to be but it's so important to know who you're talking to because if you don't know who you're talking to, then you don't know what their problem is. And if you don't know their problem, then you're just being a narcissist, putting words on paper, hoping people like it. If you're not help actively helping people and addressing their issues and providing them solutions, then like, what are you doing? You know, like make just like write in a journal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like I I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, (laughs) And, and I think that people don't like to hear that because there is a lot of work that goes into creating, it's digging deeper, right? Like, you know, what is the actual problem of someone who is downloading a bikini body guide, right? Like, what's their pain point? Their real pain may or may not be losing five pounds, their real pain might be a self confidence thing. And so, to actually be helpful to that person in the long term, what needs to be addressed is self-confidence and understanding their body. And like, where does self-confidence come from? And what perhaps like broke your confidence down at some point. And how can we get you to a place that no matter how your body looks, you feel confident in yourself. And like, that doesn't mean that you don't have to make an exercise guide. You can totally do that too. But like, let's look at what the real, what the actual problem is here. And, it, and try to like address it from every side and
0: dimension that we can. Absolutely. Um, and just providing that value because like you said, going back to the, why don't you just write in a journal? It's so true. Like we don't need another post tagging a brand like, or just another fashion influencer walking down the street. And of course, Yes, there's a time and place for that where you're like, I don't really want to read anything educational or valuable. I just want to scroll, scroll, scroll. Totally. But if that becomes (laughs) what your day is about and you're like, all I've been doing is scrolling and not learning, like essentially Instagram right now is a waste of time. Like if we're just being honest, it's a waste of time. So my goal now with creating content is like, how can I not waste people's time? Like if they were to stop at any content I created, even with this podcast, is it a waste of time? Cause an hour is a long time to ask of someone to listen. So if it's going to be yeah. something that I'm talking about, it's not just going to be, Oh yeah, everything's light and fun and dandy and I don't want to show any like ugly parts of moving abroad because that would hurt my ego that then that's not really valuable because that yeah. like you just said, anyone could talk about that. Like you can just go on Pinterest and figure out inspiration. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's more of what can yeah. challenge you and like provide that valuable insight.
1: Yeah. And I think to your point, like, you know, content, I, I, when we create content, we can sort of like mm, work backwards from what we want it to be. Right. So like you could potentially make content that is just fun. Right. Where you're like, you know what, my readers or my listeners, like they're here for the like deep soulful stuff. And also like, sometimes they just want to laugh at like stupid memes. So like, I know that like I can temper some of my content with like just some stupid memes that I thought were funny or like I'm obsessed with Reddit. So like I post things about Reddit as little Easter eggs in our newsletter all the time that have nothing to do with wellness. Cause I think they're hilarious. And like, I know that that's right. probably not why people come to me. Right. Um, but it's like, I don't just have to be like dour or heavy or didactic all the time. Um, as long as I know, like I'm serving different types of content constantly. So I don't give too much meme content, right. Or like too much fluffy content. Cause if I did, people would stop coming back to me. That's not what my ideal client wants. Um, but every once in a while, You're when right. I throw in a weird link, they like, it really gets them excited and it's kind of like a breath of fresh air for them. So I think, yeah, there's like a time and a place for everything and to in excess, anything's bad. So if we're only listening to like, you know, scientific audiobooks or like reading research journals all day long, we're probably not going to like be that much fun. Right. Um, and if we are <laughs> only like scrolling through fashion Instagrams with influencers who are not saying anything important in the world, or I don't want to say important cause that's like me projecting my own perspective, but who, um, maybe have a myopic perspective. Um, that doesn't necessarily add value to our lives other than beauty and distraction from our reality. If we're only taking in distraction, then that's also something to look at, right? Like what am I in avoidance of? If I'm just looking for beautiful to fill my day with beautiful images that are not me, that are beyond me, that I won't have. Um, Why am I running from my, my present? Mm -hmm. Um, It's worth like considering. And I think like, you know, there's a place for both or all of it.
0: I love that. I have two final questions. And the first is what has been your favorite topic or article that you've written about on holisticism?
1: Oh my god. Um well okay, so I everyone has things that they have to work on, and one of my things is showing like showing myself. So I started Holisticism two and a half years ago and I actually started it anonymously. So my name wasn't even on it. Um, And I like didn't show my face and I didn't talk about who I was or really my experiences at all. And um, I realized like that I needed to do that more because my experiences have been pretty monumental and could be really valuable to others. And um, I became a certified Akashic records reader a couple years ago. So I read these things called the Akashic records and I was so embarrassed, not embarrassed, but just like, I didn't want people to know that that's what I did, or that was a skill that I had. Um, I wanted them, I wanted to be as neutral as possible. You know, I elevate other practitioners and other people in the space. I, I want to be just like the neutral voice who, you know, expresses my own sort of sovereign opinion. Um, so being a practitioner sort of felt like not great to me. But I wrote an article about the Akashic Records about a year after I became certified and it blew up. People, like, I think it's still one of our most shared articles. And it's been this really fun thing that I get to talk more about. And um, now I get to teach people. It's like the mo- one of the best tools that I've ever used sort of in the intuitive space, but also in business to help make decisions. And just like to hear people's stories about how they've used them in their lives and like the clarity that they've been able to find and how empowered they feel is like, it like, kind of makes you want to cry. It's so cool. So yeah, that's, I think my favorite thing or topic that we've covered on holisticism. We also talked, had a really good workshop on anger, um, a couple months ago on, on mad, the magic of anger. And that was another fun one.
0: Ooh, I like these topics. Cause like you said, it's not just the typical mainstream ones. Like I'm sure half the people listening to this haven't even heard of Akashic records. So everyone be sure to check those two out specifically. <laughs> yeah. Go <to>
1: holisticism, <laughs> Google Akashic records them and out. it'll pop right up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well,
1: that's exactly <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and what's next for holisticism? Like what is the next step for the journey that you guys are on over there? Yeah,
1: really good question. So um, I built software, oh my god, it was 18 months ago to help practitioners, uh, run their, the back end of their businesses. So I've been basically like focusing on that aspect of holisticism for a really long time. And I just realized that many people out in the wellness, well being world, um, although I could build them a tool to make their businesses run more smoothly, if they didn't have the basic business practices under their belt, um, that wouldn't be that helpful. (laughs) So like if I gave them a hammer, but like no nails or boards or like a blueprint on how to build a house, like the hammer is a little bit useless. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I have started teaching these really cool classes on intuitive entrepreneurship and we're actually launching a membership community. So holisticism is a community of like, you know, at this point, close to 50,000 people who are interested in all the stuff that we talked about today, but there's been no central hub for them to talk to each other and to get like deeper, deeper downloaded content from me and from our practitioners. So that is launching on January 1st, um, to the massive group, but it's going live, um, at the at the beginning of December for a select group of people, um, and I'll actually give you a link that you can put in your show notes if you want that people can go to if they want to sign up to get early access to the membership. Um, but I'm really excited about that. We're we're talking a lot about what we talked about today. You know, the dimensions of well being from you know mysticism to white supremacy to how do I show up in the workplace and be the healthiest version of myself energetically and physically and balance all these things. And so uh, it's going to be really, I'm just really excited about it.
0: I'm so excited to get on this early access list because that sounds amazing. I'm in the midst right now of (laughs) trying to start my own business. Even this podcast in and of itself is like a little business. So there's constantly things that I'm working on. It's it's funny that you're saying all this because I just talked about all this in my last podcast, like the whole just letting go of the tracking and the over, you know, over analyzation of your weight to starting your own business and and really letting go of limiting beliefs because that is a whole other podcast in and of itself. But it sounds like you have nailed down. Yeah. Nailed down some type of market where people can, like you said, just trust their intuition because I think we're all capable of something amazing. We just convince ourselves out of it
1: hundred percent. And like, we, we often just don't have the tools available to us to take the next step. So we have one sort of micro failure and then we stop. And like, like my, you know, when I started holisticism and I know that we're getting to the end, so I'll try to wrap, but like, I wanted to start this business and I wanted to raise money. Uh, and I ended up raising a lot of money and actually giving it back, which is a different story. But um, part of what I wanted to do was like, So many people were like, oh, you could have a nice little business where you make, you know, a couple, maybe you make six figures, you could make a coaching business. And I was like, fuck you. If I was a dude, you'd be like, you could have a million dollar, billion dollar business. And so I wanted to sort of reframe and inspire women if they wanted to, to think about what they would do if they were sort of limitless in terms of like dreaming and also actually being able to put something into action. And I think that most, at least for me and a lot of the women that I've talked to, we've been told our whole lives to like think smaller, um, and to expect less. And I, I don't believe in that. Um, I believe that we can do whatever we want and whatever we set our minds to. And it's my, my job to arm you with as much information as I possibly can to help you fulfill whatever it is that you want, whether it's creating a billion dollar tech business Or it's creating an awesome podcast that people love, or it's, you know, being working in a regular company and then like having an awesome coaching business on
0: the side. I love that. I am obsessed. Where can people find you and specifically? the website? How do they download or subscribe to the newsletter? Tell us all the
1: details. You can go to holisticism.com. And we're also on Instagram at holisticism. And you can grab the newsletter just by signing up on our site. It's the very first thing that pops up. We also have a ton of resources that are free that are in all of our blog posts. So if you go to a blog, there's usually something you can download for free that's really valuable, whether it's Uh, We just did a, a guidebook on how to get through Mercury retrograde in Scorpio by looking at your natal chart. So an astrologer helped us build that. Uh, we have some really cool stuff on the site that you should download. That's totally free. We do virtual workshops um, that are usually ten to thirty dollars that you can sign up for, um, and I'll give you a link uh, to. I'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but the pre pre sign up for the membership will be available too. So, would love to have you on there so you can know when it goes live. It'll be a limited number of memberships that we have available because they all come with an Akashic records reading. So, um, so we have to put a cap on them, but yeah, I would love to have you. And you can also email me at Michelle at ohholisticism.com If you want to reach out personally,
0: love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Michelle. I cannot wait to get into all the stuff on holisticism. Like I said, I read the email all the time. It's so valuable. So everyone make sure you're signed up for that newsletter as well.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking
0: the time and uh, thinking of me. Absolutely. This is so exciting. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Thank you. Like I said in the intro, that interview went all over the place in a good way. I think it was a really productive conversation to have. And it was really eye opening. Like I didn't even realize the whole issue around racism and algorithms, which is interesting because that was the industry I worked in for six plus years And it just shows you like how blind I was just because I'm a privileged white person. And to me, I'm like, Oh, whatever. You know, I have friends in these areas. It doesn't really matter. Like I don't really need to actively do anything. I support people, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I need to actually take a step further and really take a hard look in the mirror. Like, am I part of the problem or am I doing anything to fix it? Because if not, maybe I can change something. So I'm really glad Michelle opened up the doors to that conversation because That takes a lot of bravery because, especially in this day and age of wanting to not have any criticism and have everyone like you and be the cutest person on Instagram and blah, 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 it takes a lot of guts to be like, yeah, I don't give a shit about that, this is what I care about and this is what I want to talk about in an actual polarizing way. Obviously, I'm sure some of you listening were even like, I don't agree with that, this is bullshit, I don't care. Why is Chelsea talking about this? And I'm sure some of you were like, wow, I didn't even think about this. Thank you. Which is the point of these podcasts in my eyes is like, let's open up the conversation to things that we don't talk about. I don't want you guys to come to this podcast and think, oh yeah, I've heard this a million times before. Or yeah, I've already heard that. Because there's also like this weird issue right now with social media. I guess it's not a weird issue, but it's like mainstream where everyone's being like, quote unquote, vulnerable. And everyone's talking about their anxiety and being authentic and being their true self, but no one's talking about politics and racism. And if they are, they're very polarizing, like, you know, they're the spokesperson for something or they support an organization or it's just someone that is like a TV personality. And I find it really refreshing that Michelle has this background in beauty editing, worked for these major magazines, could easily live like a cushy, you know, no uh no frills lifestyle, where it's just, yeah, floating along and she's like, no, I get really angry that people are being oppressed in 2019 and I want to do something about it. And it really just sparked my interest again in how I can help out. So if that happened for you too, I hope you guys check out Michelle's site, holisticism.com. Follow Holisticism on Instagram. Follow Michelle. She has so much valuable content. And like I said, I think that's kind of the theme of my next few podcasts and posts is really discussing the value of content and what you're consuming. If you're consuming fashion influencers all day and and that's what you like to do and you don't feel bad about it, keep doing that. I'm not trying to say unfollow all the high-end fashion influencers. For me, it's like, what am I getting out of this? I cannot fathom to see just another cool picture of someone in the Almafi coast with like a sun emoji and like hashtag Aperol Spritz. Seen that, done that, I'm over it. So with Michelle, that was really important that we had that conversation around content and value and actively choosing the content that you're consuming So I hope you guys take some inventory and do that this week, next week, whenever you want. Maybe make it your New Year's resolution is I'm going to actually unfollow accounts that don't inspire, educate, or entertain me. And I'm going to follow accounts that I do find value from. That is definitely my goal. Like I said, it's going to take a while because at some point I went on crazy following sprees. But, you know, little by little, I can start to chip away so that my feed is completely things that I am inspired by, educated by, entertained by. If it's just like, oh, this girl's hot, or this guy's cool and had the six pack, like, cool. I can literally open a magazine and see the same thing. So take inventory of your social media. Your mental health is important. Supporting causes that you back is really important. And I think you can find a lot of more valuable information around how you can help at Michelle's website, holisticism.com. If you found value out of this, I hope you go rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars only, please, if not, Keep it moving, just kidding, but uh, seriously, five stars would help so much, and a re- written review really helps. Think about anything that we do, especially all us in the day and age of Amazon, we are review lovers. We love to read reviews, and that's how even I look at podcasts sometimes, I'll read like the top three reviews and say, oh, okay, obviously like this is a legit podcast, people like it, so if you find the same that you like it and you wanna share it and you think this could even help someone, Please go write a written review. It takes five minutes and just subscribe, share it with friends, make it your Instagram story, anything to help get the word out. Because I think when people like Michelle come on, we can have more productive conversations. Make sure you follow Michelle at holisticism.com and make sure you follow me at Chelsea Rife. That's C-H-E-L-S-E-A-R-I-F-F-E. If you want to write into the podcast, it's hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. And if you follow my personal Instagram, you saw that I recently launched a website for the podcast in my com. There, I just wrote a blog post around suppressing your creativity and how to get out of that funk and my personal journey with that. And I'm going to be writing a few more blog posts. I'm going to try to really dedicate time to that. And I also will be, um, right. You can also find the new podcast episodes on there and any information about the podcast. So in my non-expert you can write in hello, at my non-expert and follow me at Chelsea, Rife. with that. I'll see you guys next Thursday.